is the, the the feeling is I'm going to be under a bridge, broke, can't pay, feed my family. Like that's what people feel like the risk is. I'm going to go bust. I'm going to have, I'm going to have to get rid of my house and everything. Maybe, but more likely you're employable to a degree, whether it's the job you had or a job similar to it, or a job that pays you enough to fund the lifestyle that keeps you safe, that gives you the level of security that you need. Might that mean a two-bedroom apartment versus a four-bedroom house? Might that mean a certain neighborhood over another? Might that mean a certain kind of car versus another? Sure, but you're probably not going to be destitute. Are you looking for freedom? Freedom from the daily grind and hustle? Or just finding a way to live the life you always wanted? Then join us on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Our host, Mike Ayala, will help you discover new ways to find freedom with tips, insights, and interviews. You'll learn the exact systems he's used to travel the world and live his best life. True success and happiness are all about freedom. And here's your roadmap on how to find freedom on your own terms. Welcome to the Investing for Freedom podcast. Here's your host, Mike Ayala. Thank you for joining me on the Investing for Freedom podcast. Today's episode is going to be fantastic. And I know already because we just spent the last 10 minutes talking about some crazy stuff that maybe we get into, maybe we don't, I don't know. Um, I Jamie Gruber, our guest today is going to move to China. That's the bottom line here in the, in the next five or 10 years. But uh, no, anyway, so I've been really, really impressed watching uh, Mr. Gruber just grow, chase his dreams, just, just go after it. And then also simultaneously, the amount of people that you've brought along with you and, and just mentor and guide and inspire, you can just see your heart for life. And, you know, I, I think you and I resonate in a lot of areas when it comes to, you know, just time freedom, geographic freedom, family first, just be where I want to be. But also, man, just watching the way that you've taken that passion that you have for your own life and showing other people how to do it too has been pretty amazing. So I'm really excited for the episode today. Me too, man. No, I appreciate that. It's it's always a pleasure. We just you I saw you in Austin. We did an interview with you and uh, and your wife, which was great. Actually, just released recently as we're recording this. But um, uh, yeah, it's always great to talk to the Mike Ayala, the Mike Ayala, <laughs> Mister the Jamie Gruber. Um, I, I love it. Uh, so just quickly, I was thinking about this earlier. Who do you say that you are? Oh, wow. What a great opening question. I am, what comes to my mind? I'm a father and a husband who doesn't want to settle in life. I don't want my kids to see me settling in life. I don't want to be perceived as somebody who settles in life. I guess I'm an entrepreneur, although I think the term is more like uh, uh, um, like a tag than it is necessary. Um, meaning like it gives people context, but I don't know how important it is to, to say that for me. And more than anything, I'm, I'm, I'm somebody who values freedom more than security. And in the last few years, I've really allowed myself to lean into that value. Whereas before I was misaligned with my value by having a job that provided this quote unquote security and giving up the freedom. And that's the I'll leave it there for a minute. We can dive in more, but that's how I would describe myself. You know, it's so interesting. I, I love I love what you said there at the end, like you value freedom over security because I've had this conversation with so many people lately that think that they want freedom. I actually put a podcast out a while back that you said, you know, most people can't handle freedom. They don't know what to do with it. And most people will never actually achieve that freedom because of what you said. Like there's this, there's this constant battle between risk adversity and freedom that most people don't know how to wrestle with. 
Well, I see, I think that risk, risk has to be, has to be filtered through the context of values. So getting to this point, this is great. There's a spectrum. On one end of the spectrum is your freedom. On the other end of the spectrum is your security. You can't be fully one without the other. In other words, true freedom, like I don't pay taxes. I don't live anywhere. I can do anything I want whenever I want. That comes at the cost of very little, if any, security. You probably have no security. At the same time, if you have maximum security, like a prison, then you have minimum freedom, right? Like that's that's the spectrum. And, and all of us lie somewhere in between that. So you talk about risk, and I get that question a lot leaving your job. Like, how did you, how did you, how did you you know like navigate the risk? And I'm like, well, if you value security, if you're on the side of the spectrum that's more security focused, so center left, let's say, in that regard, as I'm using my hands, center left, you're on the security side of the spectrum. Doesn't mean you don't value freedom at all, but you value security more then a huge risk is giving up security. It's quitting the job. That's a big risk because you're, 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 yeah. If you're on the other side of the spectrum where I am, I don't know exactly where, but if I, if I lean on the freedom side where freedom is more important than security, of course, I want some level of security. I live in a secure neighborhood here. I want the police to come when I call. I want to, you know what I mean? Like I want a level of security, but freedom is a more important value to me. So if I kept my job, then that's risky because I'm I'm violating my values. I hope that makes sense. So I see risk as not, you know, risk is leaving your job. I see risk as, well, what's your value? And if you're violating your values, then that's the risk. Quit your job, you risk. Quit your job with somebody who, who values freedom is risky. Keeping your, I'm sorry, quitting your job with somebody that values security is risky. Quitting your job with somebody who values secure, uh, freedom is not risky, in my opinion. So risk has to be, described, I think, on that spectrum. Yeah, it's interesting that when, when I was 24, um, Karen and I were talking about, you know, leaving the job, which wasn't really, I like what you said earlier, too, because Karen and I have been, we've been really hitting on, you know, values based investing. And, you know, everybody talks about goals, but um, we were actually just recently speaking at Brandon Turner's Better Marriage Conference. And, you know, we ask everybody, like, how many of you guys have set goals? And like, you know, I mean, obviously, out of 150 people in the room, like 147 of their hands go up. And then, you know, we asked the question, you know, how many of you guys as a couple have done goals together and the majority of their hands go up. And then he asked the question, like, how many of you guys are really clear on your individual values and your values as a couple? And like five hands go up in the room. Mm -hmm. And when Karen and I are looking backwards, like we've realized that the majority of our decisions are made through the lens of what we value. And you, you kind of hit on this a few minutes ago, um, and I think people overlook that because, you know, there's even a lot of people that, you know, whether it's like, I like how you talk about the spectrum of, you know, risk and freedom, but, but in there is all these things that we value. And so when, when I was 24 years old and, um, you know, values were, I want to be a present father. I want to be a good dad. I want to be a good husband, which when I say, who does Jamie say he is, that's what you led with. But what was interesting is, you know, I'm working this job, I'm grinding and I'm realizing that this job is not helping me achieve my, my values mm -hmm. and, or live those values and misaligned. Yeah. Yeah. And Kara and I, we literally sat down and I said like, what's the worst case scenario? So I quit this job and, you know, we start this company and it fails. I'm a very high value employee. Like I was running in a crew of 16 guys at the age of 23, running a $3 million construction project. Most people don't get to that until they're like 40. And so I'm a real, I'm a high level employee at that stage, my experience, my leadership abilities, 
yeah, even at, like at the age of 23, 24, um, what's the worst case scenario? We start this company, it fails, and I have to go back to work for the company that I'm working for or one of my competitors. And it, it just like hit me. I'm like, I'm already living my worst case scenario. Mm. And so I think, you know, I, when I when I came to terms with that, there wasn't a lot of risk in it. Yeah, hundred percent. I did an inverse risk analysis in that regard. Somebody, I forget who told me about this, and it was what you just described. It was sort of like, all right, let's let's look at the let's look at the you know the risk, the downside, and it's like, all right, well, you know, is the 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 feeling is I'm going to be under a bridge, broke, can't pay, feed my family. Like that's what people feel like the risk is. I'm going to go bust. I'm going to have I'm going to have to get rid of my house and everything. Maybe. But more likely, you're employable to a degree, whether it's the job you had or a job similar to it or a job that pays you enough to fund the lifestyle that keeps you safe, that gives you the level of security that you need. Might that mean a two-bedroom apartment versus a four-bedroom house? Might that mean a certain neighborhood over another? Might that mean a certain kind of car versus another? Sure. But you're probably not going to be destitute. That's the bottom. But the upside, to your point, like if this thing works... The upside is exponential. It's it's through the roof. You can, you know, when you think about when you think about the the idea of trying to cut back on expense, for instance, there's only a certain there's a floor to that. Like you can't be at zero, you can't even hit zero. You can't even bottom out on your expense side. But if you look at what you can make from an income perspective, that's infinite. It's it's forever. It does. There's no cap to it. So that inverse risk analysis was exactly what you described. It was sort of okay. The worst case scenario is I got to get a job, which I have and I don't like. So I'm living that worst case scenario right now. But the best case scenario, or not even the best case, but a a likely scenario is I'm going to have some struggles, some ups and downs, but I'm going to be able to make it. And that's. That's been my story. Like I've had a great run. It's been fun. There's ups, there's downs, but I've been able to su- survive and thrive outside of a corporate gig. So yeah, I think I think really putting pen to paper on what's the real bottom because otherwise you allow your emotions to rule it and your emotions are saying, I don't, health insurance is too much, which it's not. Um, I won't be able to feed my family, which you will be able to. I won't, uh, you know, I'm going to be bankrupt, which you probably won't be. I think like 7% of the US population has ever been bankrupted. You know, it's like 93% chance that you won't, you know, are you increasing your risk? Maybe, depending on what you're doing when you leave that job. But I completely agree that that, that worst case needs to be defined for somebody that's looking to make a big change in their life because usually it's nowhere near as bad as you think. You know, it's interesting. You say, you know, it's like 7% of the population has been bankrupt and probably, you know, 90% of that 7% are probably extremely wealthy at this point in time. <laughs> it's crazy, man. I said that to somebody the other day. I, I don't, I could tell you, I could point to, I could throw a rock and hit multiple eight figure millionaires that have been bankrupt, mm-hmm. multiple. Former president bankrupted five companies, right? Like tr- Trump, you know, like I, there's bankruptcy. Yeah, I mean, I get it. I don't want to go bankrupt, but yeah, I mean, it it is it is an ego hit. It's hard. It's difficult. But I've seen so many people come back from it uh, even better than before. So yeah, I think that's uh that's again one of those things that's more how am I going to be perceived than you know how bad is it really? Yeah, and most of the people that you know, are not there when you went bankrupt, you probably didn't need to be there anyway. It's crazy. True. True. Um, okay. So it feels like I met you like 19 years ago, just watching your journey. Um, but it's really just been a few years and, and mm-hmm. I've, I've, I said this in the intro, but I've been really impressed. So when I met you, you were working for a large insurance company, I think if I have it right. And so yep. kind of talk to us about where you were at and, and just tell me about that journey. I don't, I don't even want to lead the witness. Cause you talk about this so much. I, I, I want you to share it. 
Yeah. I, I, yeah, my, I always say when I was 16 years old, I wanted to be an NFL broadcaster. So naturally at 21, I became a claims adjuster, easy progression, gave up on my dreams. You know, it wasn't something I wanted to really put the work in on. I just wanted to be a, I wanted to be in the booth, but I didn't want to go to like Iowa and, and, you know, be on a, a local radio station or whatever on the way up. So I got a job, which is what we all do. And I, I was good at that job and I got promoted pretty quickly early on. And that kind of kept accelerating. And there was a point in my early thirties. So about 10 years after 12 years after I got that job where I could feel a sense of unfulfillment. And I was convinced that it was because I was not, I wasn't in the right position for me, meaning my potential is way greater than where I am. And once I maximize my ability in this company or my potential in this company with the job that I know that I think is, is, you know, befitting of me, there's my fulfillment. And I couldn't have been more wrong. So I get that job in 2017, moved my family from Boston to Michigan, big pay, executive job, equity every year. It's like everything you would want. I could just ride it out. 20 years retire with millions in the bank that they give me essentially. So easy peasy. And I was absolutely torn apart inside. I was absolutely miserable inside. It just was, it was just this massive disconnect. And I always say in that moment, like my ego and my authentic self went to battle that year. So that started the idea that, man, I got to find a way out of this job. My thought was 10 years, which felt like forever, but it was like, oh, start now. And in 10 years, I could quit this job at 47. That's still pretty young, right? That's still 15 years ahead of where most might retire. And then two and a half years later, um, actually, I guess it was a few years later after that, like three and a half, four years later, it was 2021, I ended up quitting thanks to real estate investment, people I had surrounded myself with that I could partner with. I dipped into some things like with high ticket sales, I built a community called Emerge, which you know about. And those things were, were sort of the irons in the fire for me to say, you know what, I think I'm ready to do this. What's interesting is when I actually quit the job, so I'm making about 400 grand all in uh, a year at this point, and I'm making a drive and I'm trying to figure out on this long drive, like, I think it's time to go and I'm figuring out my expenses and I'm figuring out my cash flow. And it was like, I mean, I might've been 50% of the way there as far as my my cash flow from my real estate and other things that I had started building while I had this job covering my expenses, some money in the bank. That was my run rate, but it was still like, it's just, it was time to go. So I quit that job. Once I quit it, I always talk about vacuum prosperity law here, where like I cleared the room of the thing that I was doing the most. Of. I was clearing my time, that day job. And all these things started coming in, partnership opportunities, real estate opportunities, all these things started happening after I quit. Didn't plan on them. Like I was good. Like this is the stuff that's going to, I got to build this and gut through. I got a year if I can. Yeah. And then all of a sudden all these things started coming in when I, when I got rid of the job and a year after I quit, I went back to the vision that I had written down in 2020. So this is like 2022. And that vision said, travel three months with your family anywhere in the world. Like that's the goal. That's the vision. That's what I want my life to look like. That's what writing down and recalling often made, made how it made the job. Uh, not doable anymore because I couldn't do that in that job. I couldn't leave the country in that job as far as working. So a year after, I'm like, okay, I've survived. I, I've made it a year outside of the job. We made the decision to move to the Dominican Republic, which is where I am right now. We just decided on the second year. So August of 22, we moved down here. It's it's September 23 as we record this, and we'll go back July of 24 after uh, the kids go through school. But it's allowed me to do a lot of things, man. Like my wife and I go to the gym every morning. I want to be a great husband. My kids are uh, speaking Spanish and I'm here every day, every night. I'm, I mean, I'm in the house every day. So I'm always around them. I want to be a good and present father. 
you know, I'm doing things that I want to do when I want to do them. Freedom, all the things we talked about at the beginning, all the values that I articulated, I'm able to live them here. Plus, no tan, but I get to be on a beach every so often. So that's kind of a cool thing. <laughs> so that's the that's the run. That's the run from like 2017, really in, in earnest, starting about 2019 is when I really started to make efforts and moves and it accelerated me. And again, I think the key is surrounded by the right people, seeing things that are possible for me in them that made it like normal. Like, wow, people do live in other countries. People do you know, exist like you outside of a day job. They build their own things. They're able to survive. That normalization got me the courage to walk away. And then with a little bit of proof, it was enough to say, let's execute this vision. You talked about you know, when you left, when you finally made the decision to leave and all these opportunities came. Um, and you and I have talked a little bit about this too, but uh, how did you sort through? Because I think sometimes too many opportunities start coming too. And did you yeah. ever find yourself like, um, I don't know, because when you're having to make up that difference, it's kind of like, you just start grabbing at things. Did you have that? Did you have that issue? And, and how do you kind of yes. navigate that? And I grabbed the first two things. They ended up being great. But after that, there were other opportunities, other people that I had talked to about different things. Maybe and I remember saying to some people, like, I want to say yes to all of this, but I need to honor the no right now because I feel like I've already overcommitted. And that is my biggest lesson two and a half years out of the job still that I'm still trying to unwind and 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 get better at is like Alex Hormozzi did a great post the other day. He had like a cup of water and he said, I want to get rid of this thought. And I agree with him completely that that um, all like that uh, uh, millionaires have seven average of seven streams of income. He's like, true, but it's not how they start. He's like, let me show you what would happen. And he takes out these seven cups and he has one cup of water. He's like, if I, if I'm going to start seven different businesses and pour a little bit of myself into all of them, like, look how little of me is in all of these verses. And he pours it back into one. He's like, so entrepreneurs or millionaires, they build one thing and then they diversify out, but they make a lot of money in one. They pour themselves all into that. And that's still my thing. Like, I'm amazed at how well I've done spreading myself as thin as I have. I'm a little afraid to give up on the income, but but also equally afraid of, I think, the success that's likely if I actually focused in on one thing. There's a fear in me that I could actually manifest that. I don't know why. I can't articulate or explain why I have that fear. But I do prevent myself from throttle down on one thing. I, I just I don't I, I don't know. I don't know if I feel like I'm going to get unbalanced or if I'm I'm afraid that if it's just like this sort of psychological thing, like you've never made more than X. And if you do this, you're going to make more than that. And it's another level and you become a different person. And, I, you know, I don't know. But but yeah, my struggle still is that. And yes, agreed. I took I took the first two things. I kind of, you know, stiff armed a lot of things after that. And now I'm learning, like, even those first two things, like, I probably would be better today if I didn't take them and stayed in that that push mode and built the one thing I was working on at that time, which was Emerge. Still going, going slower, but because I took on, like, a high-ticket sales role and because I took on a real estate role, I just, I spread myself across all these things. And today I'm trying to undo that a little bit. You know, this, I think this is a, maybe different, but the same challenge that you were thinking about. I've been... Karen and I are doing the same thing right now. Um, Michael Michaelowitz, who wrote Profit First, he also um, wrote another book, which I didn't read this entire book. I just got the synopsis of it. Um, I think it's called The Pumpkin Plan. And he talks about how, you know, if you want, if you want, you want to be a pumpkin farmer, you just build a pumpkin patch, right? And then Halloween, you just make some money on the pumpkins. But if you want a championship, like state fair pumpkin, like you have to trim, you have to trim out all the other pumpkins. And that was like, 
I wow. started looking at all these freaking pumpkins that I have in my life, which is kind of, you know, it's just, it, it was like a, it was like a metaphor that really just kind of hit me between the eyes. But the reason why I was bringing that up is because I think subconsciously there's a lot of these ideas, you know, I mean, even from a financial advisor perspective, you don't want all your eggs in one basket, like mm, diversity, you know, yeah. Or, or even Diversify. just like, yeah. What if I, yeah, exactly. Diversify. And I think we're kind of programmed in it, like, okay, what if, what if I put back to the bankrupt conversation? Like, what if I put all my energy and effort into this one thing and it fails? I was literally talking to a very successful business owner who's owned his business for, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to change some of the things just for a nominee, a non, whatever. Anonymity. Yeah, Anonymity. Yeah. <laughs> um, so this guy's like really successful, owned his business for like 30 years, has you know, five houses all over the place, um, has this amazing jet, like he has all these things, but he feels tied to his business. Mm. And, and he was like, Mike, like, I, I'm, I really want to figure out how to get financial freedom. And I was like, bro, like, you have financial freedom. That's not what you're looking for. And I think sometimes like even, I think we're scared. I have this conversation so many times, we think that there's this like fear-based perspective in all of us that at some point the faucet's going to run out of water. Like right, it's, right. you know, these ideas that we're, we're, we're programmed with. And, and I think for me, that's part of like why I'm sitting here like, okay, I need to start this and I need to do, I'm a visionary naturally anyway, but then also I'm like, well, if this doesn't go right. And plus we're in communities that are very like, um, I I'm jokingly, yeah. Yeah, and I, yeah. I and I also I I jokingly told uh, me and Amucha Stegi and and uh, Maddie A and Ashish Nathu have been recording a podcast with the four of us, and I jokingly this morning said, "Hey, I'm going to introduce Aaron tomorrow as the guy that has um, correctly predicted 18 of the last two recessions, because like we're also surrounded by, <laughs> you know, all this like <laughs> negativity, like the world's going to end, right? And it's like." So, the, you know, we have all these like emotions that are coming at us that make me want to. <laughs> that makes me so happy. I, I'll tell you why in a second, but go ahead. Keep going. Okay. Um, you know, I, I have all these like, I think just fears at the end of the day too, that because like we're betting on ourselves a hundred percent. And so I think there's a part of me too, that is like, okay, well, even if this one thing is my 70%, if I have these other three going that are 10 percenters, and I have to adjust, at least I have some level of income. And I've really wrestled with this the last few months because, and, and Karen and I are shutting down a ton. Like we're just, the pumpkin plan, like I'm going all in on a freaking state fair pumpkin, period. What are you shutting down? Can you say? Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so we're going to shut down the virtual side of the couple's mastermind. Hmm. Um, we're just going back to the, you know, we wanted nice. to help more people. Yeah. Um, cause we started with this high ticket mastermind, right. Which we love and we primarily selfishly do it because we get to spend an entire year with these amazing couples. But then we started looking around and we're like, well, we get to spend this year with these five amazing couples, but how do we help more? Oh, mm -hmm. virtual lower ticket. Like, oh, no, like what we realized is that, you know, the reason why people were showing up the way they were is because of the investment, yeah. because of the type of person that could afford that high ticket and what they were really looking for. And so anyway, we're shutting down the virtual community. I'm mm -hmm. shutting down my freedom elite community. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm actually, I'm, I'm not going to be doing very much coaching at all. I like, I'm going all in on the MHP space. I'm going to, I'm going to finish that run over the next couple of years and then just come back to my roots with HVAC. Like that's the thing. That's the mountain I want to die on. Buying? What are you doing with HVAC? Um, yeah, I want to I want to buy and consolidate companies, which is where well, I started, more. right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But 
And and again, I'm going to push that out a little bit just because I, I I'm in the middle of you know this uh, um, our mobile home park. We still have about 500 and some odd houses to set, so I got to see that through, make sure I don't lose distraction. Because again, um, I, I did that. I did that for a while, and um, you know, I I really think that if I would have just there was other extenuating circumstances too. Like we couldn't get inventory. We couldn't get capital COVID. Like we brought, bought too many distressed properties. I had internal problems with, um, you know, some, some key leaders that all these problems, but honestly, like energy being spread in 10 things doesn't help at the end of the day. So. No, you're right. I, I think for me, you're, you're absolutely right. Like, I, I noticed this to me, like when something gets hard in something that I'm doing, I, I got four other things that I can go do and it's justified in my mind, you know, like, uh, well, I got, I got to, I got to go host the podcast because I have a podcast. I, that's an obligation. So I'm doing the right thing, even though there's probably a fire burning over here that I just don't want to deal with right now. I don't want to make that call. I don't want to do that thing, whatever it might be. And I do, I, I, I wonder, cause I'm sure you experienced this. I was talking to Calvin chin about this yesterday. Like, like one day, man, it's like, I am invincible. I can do anything, all this self-help stuff that you hear and you get my best sound clips. And then the next day, it's like, I am a piece of shit. There's no way I'm going to make another dollar. There's no, I can't sleep tonight. Like I, I've just ruined my family's future. Like it gets bad. Yeah. And so I think in some ways, I, having multiple things allows me not to have to deal with that. Like just yeah. hit that rock bottom in the one thing because it's going to be that way, right? As you're going, as you're going up, like you look, look at any stock chart, it goes like this and then down and like that and then up a bit and, then, and so on and so forth. It, it ticks up; it doesn't go straight and up up into the right. So I think I'm avoiding the pain in this thing by justifying that I've got to I've got to still invest my time in this thing because I've created these things and I've got to manage all of them but I just want to be in the good part of all of them I don't mm -hmm. want to deal with the bad and if I had one thing all I could do is deal in the spectrum of good to bad in that regard yeah that's what I think you know it's interesting too I I've and I agree with you 100 like I there there's these versions of us too that we build that are good versions of ourselves you know one of the things that I've really and I think you and I've talked about this a little bit but the last well, really, since the reason why I started my business was because I wanted to make sure that I was a present husband, a present father, blah, you know, mm -hmm. all the things. And so we built our life around that. And then when I sold my business in 2014, you know, even when I teamed up with my current business partner, I told him from the beginning, I said, listen, here's, here's the one thing you have to know about me. I'm not going to work more than 20 hours a week. Um, that that's the life I've built. And now, you know, you fast forward and we went all in and I definitely worked more than 20 hours a week, but this was the frame of reference that I came from. And I was telling Kara about a year ago, just back to the, you know, the entrepreneurial roller coaster that you're talking about. Like I was sitting there telling Kara, I said, I, I feel like I've left so much on the table. Mm. Like, you know, Caden's graduating. She moved to Ireland. Dylan's married. He's on his own. Tim's on his own. And I'm just kind of looking back. And it was after like a GoBundance conversation. And I was like, I'm comparing myself to, you know, some champions. And I'm like, my net worth has not really ticked up that much in the last like six or, you know, probably really six years. Um, now I've got some things in the works that, you know, if there's an exit, then great. But I started looking at all that and I'm like, man, Kara, I feel like we've left a lot, a lot on the table the last 10 years. And, and she's like, what do you mean? And I start telling her, I'm like, you know, we made these exponential moves from the age of like 24 to 34, like huge, huge growth. And then I just feel like I've kind of, you know, just done like, just done this. And, and she's like, well, we did exactly what we wanted to do. Like our kids have seen the world. Like we were present, like we, you know, we, we've, we did what we wanted to do. And I was like, 
man, that is a great reframing for me. But the reason why I brought that up is because we go into these dark places where like we forget this version of ourselves that we, that we intentionally made. And then the other side of it is like, now that I'm on the other side of this, like we're literally empty nesters and I'm ready to grind. Like I'm ready for round two, but I'm also like, I'm dealing with when you were talking about how, you know, one day you're like, Oh, I'm all like, I'm awesome. And then the next day, what I'm struggling with is, is just a version of me that like, I know in order to go where I need to go, I need to work hard. I, I, this isn't 20 hour work week stuff, but I still deal with that version. That's like, no, like you want to be free. You want to take it light and easy. And so I just think there's these seasons that we have to be really cognizant around. Yeah, we do. I, have you ever done a solo weekend? Have we talked about a solo weekends? Yes. Um, have you ever, have you ever done, one? done it? I've never done it. You should do one. Set the intention for like something around the, around the uh, idea of like, uh, um, you know, what version of me do I want to be for the next five years? Something like that. I don't know. But like, mm-hmm. I, I know what you mean. I, I, I can't help but wonder as you say that, because, and again, takes one to know one, how much of that is pull versus push? In other words, are you drawn to it or are you feeling pushed by others? Because that man, look, I, I, yeah, I hang out with guys like you. It's like, oh, my net worth is tripled, quadrupled. I'm like, mine's like, 20% more, you know, like over the last five years, you know, like it's kind of like just plodding along and like you bunch of investments the next few years, it'll, you know, I'll hit my hockey stick or whatever it is. And I'm way, way, way behind where you are. But the point is, you know, what I hear in that, and I have the same thing is like, do I, I mean, if you honestly, if you sat me down and, and really asked me, do I care about my net worth? I don't, I don't like, my if if tomorrow you said you got a week, it's it's the fur to live. It's the furthest thing, yeah, furthest thing from my mind. It's what you said. It's your kids. It's your wife. Yeah. It's 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 the experiences that are left undone. Like I don't care. My yeah. ego cares. And the hard part is, I've done a lot of work on this. Like the hard part for me is a big reason for me not self actualizing to the level that I want to is that I suppress my ego. I'm ego bad. No good. Keep it down there. Kick it, kick it while it's down. Ego's bad. And I've gone through some experiences, man, like psychedelic experiences where the, the intention set was like, what's holding me back. And like, every time it's my ego going like, you're not acknowledging me. Like the goals that you set, I achieve those. The ego says that, right? Like you don't achieve those. I achieve those. So you're, you're kicking me down and telling me I'm a piece of shit when I'm the one that drives you through. I'm the one that, that gives you the, gives you the, uh, the confidence to overcome something, to walk into a room of multimillionaires. I give you that. All you see is the stuff where, you know, you let me take over a little bit too much. This is the ego saying this to me, right? Like where I look and become egotistical on outside of myself. And I've had those moments. So I'm, I'm, I'm throwing the baby out with the bathwater with my ego by kicking it away for the bad and not acknowledging it for the good. So back to the point, I wonder for me, for you, how much of it is healthy ego? How much of it is unhealthy ego? Like, does it really matter if you triple or quadruple your net worth in the next few years? Like, do you need that grind? I know it doesn't, but does it? Like, meaning it doesn't, but if if you have this agreement, this gets into like the woo, but if you have this agreement with your ego that this is something that it needs for you to give it in order to keep that relationship healthy, I don't think it's any different than, I don't want to go to this, you know, uh, uh, whatever this, this Gatsby party and dance. I don't want to go do that, but my wife's excited and I value that relationship. So I'm going to do that for her because I love her. 
I think the ego being part of the self, if you, if you, if your ego is really calling you to this, and I don't think you get that without silence, solo weekend, then sure, go for it. Give your ego that because you love you and ego is part of you. But if it's simply your ego being the panting child and the, you know, the, the stomping child in the corner, just I want it because I want it because they have it and I should have it too. You'll recognize that in silence again. Yeah. Woo. <laughs> no, I, I think you're spot on. And, and honestly, there's a part. So I agree with you hundred percent on the net worth front too. When I went into, you know, this little dark place where I'm like, Hey, I feel like we left a lot on the table. Um, and I, I, I was working with a coach at that point in time, um, Dr. John Ryan, who was actually teaching me simultaneously about, you know, the toward energy and away energy. And, um, it, that comparison is a thief. It's something we really have to watch out for. Exactly. And the, the, the two things, when you talk about alignment, the, when I say that I'm ready to grind, when I actually, and, and Karen, and I had this conversation too, when I started my first business, you could, there's nobody that could have talked me out of any part of it. Yeah. There's like no way. And it had nothing to do with money and it had nothing to do with net worth. And it had nothing to do with how much money I was going to make or, you know, building wealth. It was just like, I knew when you talk about, you know, alignment and I knew that this was what I needed to be doing. And then when I sold that business, I, I also knew that, you know, this is how I wanted to spend the next 10 years of my life. It's when we start, it's when we start measuring and looking backwards. And that's when that's when, you know, you can get to a pretty dark place. But after going through that whole process, and when I say I'm ready to grind again, like I'm back in that zone of, you know, this isn't about net worth. It's not about, you know, whether I'm going to hit a hundred million on my vision board or it's, I think it's in solo weekends. I I need to do that. I actually had them on my calendar and I didn't do it. Um, But being in alignment, you know, with that, um, that's when I just, so you can't, you couldn't talk me out of it again. I'm in that same, I'm in that same zone where there's no way you could talk me out of it. And again, to your point, it has nothing to do with increasing my net worth or measuring my income or any of that. I just feel like I have a second, I feel like I have a second version, um, a second season of, of building an entrepreneurship because we did, we did what we wanted to do in season one and the kids are off on their own. You're still young, man. That's the crazy. Like you, you had kids way younger than me. Mine are eight and five, and we're the same age. <laughs> so you, you know, your kids, your empty nester grandpa at 43 or 44, whatever you are now. Yeah. And, I, and here I am, like just raising my kids at 44. And there's advantages and benefits to having kids young, having kids older, and all that stuff, as we both demonstrate. But um, well, what you just said, what was jumping to me, the the you were saying about about the the grind the season. Oh, I was gonna yeah. I always say I always say I hate the question. What would you tell your twenty two year old self? Because I like you just said, like no one could tell anything to my twenty two year old self. So even if I can meet my twenty two year old self, if that could physically happen, and I could yeah. say, hey, it's me, it's it's us. Do this. He wouldn't listen. Not not twenty two year old me. So for forty four year old you wanting to go forward, do you ever consult with ninety year old you? Yeah. Um, I just actually did this. Um, gosh, I don't even remember who I was with. Um, but they did a park, they did a, uh, 85 year old park bench exercise. Park bench. And, yeah. I, I said the same thing. Like what, what, what do you mean? Park bench? You're 85 years old and, and you're sitting down with your 85 year old self. And you know, what are, what are you excited about? Like, what do you, what do you see? What are you reminiscing? Like what, you know, what does your life look like? And I was like, man, what a powerful exercise. And it immediately took me to this place where 
I don't know if I mentioned this, but Dylan, my oldest, just got married like two weeks ago, three weeks ago. Oh, no, I didn't know that. Yeah, Congrats. crazy, right? Um, and he's 23, so he's older than I was when I got married. And they're talking about kids already. And I, the minute that I sat down with my 85-year-old self, like I, I didn't even have to do the math. It just like, dude, I could be sitting, I could be meeting right. my great, great, great grandkid. Like I'm that young to where, yeah. you know, if the trend continued, um, you know, I could have a grandkid in two years and then 20 and then 20 and then 20. And I'll be like, I could be meeting my great, great, great grandkid. And, and just thinking about all of that, like I wasn't, I didn't, I didn't see that I was a billionaire or I made this huge impact in, you know, in business or, you know, I, it wasn't about any of that. Like I was, I was looking at, you know, the people that were around me and thinking about that legacy of my great, great grandchildren, like, what does all that look like? And, you know, every time we go through this exercise, that's, or an exercise like that, um, I've done some, you know, vision work around some, it, it's always the same. In fact, when Chris Ryan did his first champions event, he, I think you might've even, were you there when I did my eulogy? Not you, no, I heard him do it. Yeah. Um, when I did my eulogy, he, um, he actually challenged me to do my eulogy because, you know, my uncle had just died and nobody was going to speak at his funeral. And I ended up speaking at it. I hadn't even seen my uncle for like 18 years. But anyway, when I wrote my eulogy, it was like, I had a really hard time with it the first day because yeah. I was, I was looking out to when I was 60 or 70 and ego, when you're talking about ego, I was like trying all these amazing things that Mike did, right? Like, and finally I went to bed. I said, you know what? I'm going to get up and write this in the morning. And when I got up the next morning, I took it from a perspective of like, what would, what would be said at my funeral if I died right now? Like, what does Mike care about? And it was family. And it was, you know what? He was present the last 20 years of his kids' lives. And, and it was nothing to do with net worth or money or any of that. And so, yeah. you know, that was a powerful exercise for me. Cause when I went out to 70 years later to try to write my eulogy and I saved the whales and, and brought clean water to the entire world, like it just, it didn't do anything for me. But when I brought it back to today, like, what would you be proud of? Like, bro, my kids, my family, my friends, you know, that, that's all Barbara Corcoran talked about at some point. I was, I was, I remember being so inspired by the thought. It was almost relieving to hear her say it. Barbara Corcoran, of course, Shark Tank, you know, multi, multi-millionaire. And she said, yeah, I don't, I don't give money to charity. And she did it with like no apology, no nothing. Like a lot of people get on themselves about that. Like I should give more, uh, you know, she's like, no, she's like, I give to my family. That's mm -hmm. my charity. My family is everything. I, I take care of this kid's college. I do that. You know, she's like, I do plenty in my family. Don't care what you think. Don't care what you think about that. I don't do anything outside of it. I only get to my family. And I love that. Not because it's like, yeah, screw charity. Not at all. But it was just true to her. Unapologetic. Who she is. What she's about. And so to your point about writing the eulogy, it's, it's yeah, unapologetically, this is how I showed up. And this is who I was. And I, I, I think what I battle with is sometimes I don't allow myself to be that guy. It's like, you know, on the contribution front, like I, I actually resonate a lot with what Barbara said. Like, I just don't. If I'm being honest, like I, I don't, I don't, I feel bad for somebody that's dying of cancer. I feel bad for somebody that's that's being human trafficked. Of course, I mean, all of these things are worth your time and money and effort. But I, if I'm admitting it, I don't feel this like draw, this compelling, like I, I gotta do something about this. But do I want to take care of, you know, uh, somebody that I know? I, I just had a guy, I had an old property manager reach out to me. Uh, that worked for me. I sold the property. He's like, this is so random. I know I'm struggling. I want to build an Etsy store. Would you be willing to loan me 
a thousand dollars. I'll pay you like this. And I'm like, no, man, I'm not going to loan you a thousand dollars. I'll give you a thousand dollars. Here you go. Right. That's my charity. I didn't, I, I mean, now I publicized it, but I didn't put it anywhere. I didn't, you know, Hey, look what I did. There was none of that. It was just, that's what I wanted to do in that moment. And that's how I do that. So I think about whatever that is, how you show up, what your net worth is. Do you care? Do you not? Does it matter? All of that stuff. Like showing up as truly you is such a, is such a gift. And I feel like there's people out there that just do. And they're probably some of the most successful people just because they're unapologetic. They don't care about others' beliefs. Mark Zuckerberg or, or whomever that you see out there that get crucified by people. And then they just keep going. Like that amount of self-awareness and unapologetic, an unapologetic way of going about life, I envy that. And I think what you did by writing your eulogy now is just like, this is me. Never mind who I'm going to be, what I'm going to do. This is me. I love that, man. I've never written a eulogy. You know, one thing I did do, I was challenged to do this. Sorry if you wanted to say something, but I'm going to just no. kind of jump in. On. No, no, yeah. Somebody, somebody said to me um, about, you know, because I have a brand. You have a brand, right? Putting yourself out there. It's like, have you ever written your story down as if it wasn't you? Mm -hmm. Like, no. Like, why don't you write your story like you were writing it about somebody that you know? And it took a minute to kind of get there, like mentally, like, oh, I mean, and when I wrote it down, man, like this guy, this guy was making 400 grand a year. He lived in a, a house, beautiful wife, couple of kids, had it all, quit, left his job, you know, moved away to, to, the, to the Caribbean where he's hosting events. And, you know, like when I wrote that down, it was like, holy shit, that's pretty epic. But you just like the authentic self thing I just talked about, like that, you just don't see it, you know, until somebody helps you point the mirror on it. So the eulogy, that exercise, all of that gives you glimpses into the true self. And I think the, as I'm talking about, the more and more activity or action or time spent there, probably the more we achieve whatever it is we want to achieve without even writing it down. <laughs> just go about life authentically, you know? So good, man. That That shift in the story, like, I, that, that's that's pretty crazy like write yours down you should do it man because I, I you did your eulogy as if if i died today but but what's the story like if you were right if somebody was if you were writing it as if it's not you right like if it, hey i'm gonna write about this guy tony and tony is doing all the things you did you know he struggled at this point in his life he overcame that he built the business when everyone told him it was stupid he sold that business 10 years later you know beautiful wife three kids he's you know grandfather four times over by the time he's 50. <laughs> whatever like your story is insane so like when i I'm, I always do the the mike aiella but when i it, it you know joking like oh it's the mike aiella but at the same time really man like what you do how you do it how you show up how your brain works it's insane to me it's inspiring like when you ask me to come on the show it's i i mean it it's like wow this guy's asking me like that's something that says something about me if this guy, Mike Aiella is at the Mike Aiella is asking me to be on his show. So it is hard to see how significant we, or not even how significant we are, but the significance of our lives from inside of it. Cause you, it's like anything. It's like seeing kids grow. Like my parents are here visiting. They haven't seen my kids in months. So they see a snapshot at this height. And then months later, they see a snapshot at this height. And it's like, oh my God, the difference. For me, it's like, I see him every day. I don't know. Like he's kind of the same kid <laughs> to me, right? Like, yeah, yeah, he's probably a little taller, but yeah. same thing with your life. Somebody sees a snapshot, a glimpse, like he did this and then he did that and then he did that and you're just doing these things. It's like a natural progression. It's hard to see it. Yeah. You know, I've always said this and this statement sounds stupid, but I've never found a better way to say it. But 
we don't know how amazing we are because we're us. We like live in our head all day. And a great example of this, and for the audiences listening, like, and I'm going to, I'm going to make this statement that I'm going to ask you a question around like the hero's journey and leaving and building your brand. And cause you've blown up, bro. Like you've done, and there's a couple of tips and tricks in there that I really want to extract, but sure. we don't know how amazing we are because we're us. Um, we spend all day in our head. And I remember the first mastermind that I joined was with the real estate guys. And, you know, they were talking about the hero's journey. And by the way, if, if you, I have got a PDF, a shortened version of it. So for the audience, if, if you want that, um, just send me a DM on Instagram hero's journey and I'll send it out to you. Um, but the thing that helps us realize that we don't know how amazing we are because we're us. And then writing down that story, like kind of closing that loop, it's really hard even the question I asked you at the beginning, who does Jamie say Jamie is? Mm. Like, I wouldn't, I would, I would never put somebody on the spot with a, that was, you know, not a pre-planned question that doesn't Great have question. some level of like podcast and and abilities. Like, I mean, cause you speak all the time and you're, you're on your feet. But like, if you ask, if I put somebody on the spot that never really thought about that, like that's a really challenging question. It is. And when you go through this whole process, like of the hero's journey and, and who do you say you are and, and, you know, just trying to extract us. It's really hard. It's a really hard process to, um, you know, to brag about yourself and what you've done and everything else, but turning like flipping that to a story is like a whole other just paradigm mind shift that I never really thought about. But I don't think that people understand how amazing they are. Just like you were saying with your kids, because we're just in here all day. And, mm -hmm. and like you said, one day you're like, ah, and then the next day you're like, I suck. <laughs> and, and that's like the ongoing battle. So you quit your job, you've exploded. Give us a few tips and tricks because again, you know, I, I've seen you align yourself. Um, dude, your Tribe of Millionaires podcast like blew up. You get to yeah, interview so just freaking amazing humans all day, every day. G give us some tips and tricks. How do, how do people do this? I think first and foremost, you have to have a sense of what you truly, what you truly want. And even more than that, what is your, what is your unique gift, your unique ability, the thing that you do as good or better than everybody in the world. And you have to acknowledge that. So when I think about me, as I learned, I learned that there are, if you want to distill it down, I think there's three categories of individuals, right? You have like people that are great connectors. They're just great interactive, you know, that they're good at it. And they don't understand how valuable that is because it just seems so natural and easy. Like, yeah, hey, Mike, you got to meet so-and-so or whatever, like to, to have a conversation and to, to take the conversation where it's going to go. Like that's a connector type energy. You got great analyzers, people who are just really good about, you know, dissecting and breaking things down. And you got great like integrators, people that can, that can see a vision and like put the battle, put the, the pieces in place in the battlefield. So I learned early, uh, not early, I learned recently that my my superpower is that i'm a great connector i have mm. i have um a natural inclination to be curious to ask questions to i love people i love stories i love hearing these sorts of things so the podcast as an example was the outward thing that aligns with who i am inwardly like i don't know what it'll be in five years whatever a podcast is in five years you know it used to be a tv show or a radio show now it's a podcast it's going to be a you know, a hologram pop up on a sidewalk, you know, where you get to dance or something, who knows, but whatever that is that aligns with who you are. So for me, I have that connector energy. So the podcast became a natural thing for me. And then within that, it's trying to find, I got this advice from Brandon Turner. It's like, find the hard, do the hard. So 
what's hard to build a podcast? Hard is doing interviews in person, like I did with you, like I did with this guy we were talking about why I'm going to move to China. Um, hard is <laughs> is doing a lot of research. Like when I when I get a podcast guest on, I can put up to 40, 50 hours of time into researching that guest before, before they, they interview them. Sometimes it's only a few hours, but I would say 20 hours on, on average for a, for a guest. I don't know, right? Like somebody, I, I like you, no offense. I wouldn't spend that much time, but somebody, <laughs> somebody that I don't know, um, an author, a, a writer, a rapper, whoever it might be, I'm going to, I'm going to spend a lot of time dissecting that person and learning about them. That's hard. Um, it's hard to do great video. So we're working on improving what our video quality looks like and doing trailers on the podcast as opposed to just like your standard, you know, release of a reel or whatever it might be. So finding the things that are hard within the within the activity that aligns with your being, I think creates growth because you're going to you're going to be doing the things no one else is doing and you're leveraging your unique ability and your skill within the medium whatever that is uh of of the action or career or job or thing that you're doing. So I, I don't know. I think that's the best, the best description. I think it starts with a level of self-awareness and figuring out what do I love? Actually, here's what I would say. Ask yourself that. What do I love doing? The issue is most people ask themselves a different question when they ask themselves that. So I say to you, what do you love doing? What you'll ask yourself is what do I love doing that can make money? And so if I think about my story, if I ask myself, what, what do I love doing that can make money? then I, I, I'd still be on that question because I, I wouldn't know that I could make money doing what I love to do. What I love to do, if you asked me three years ago, I would say I love talking and meeting people. I love, I love connecting people. Like, let me give you a text connect, Mike, to so-and-so. I don't know. How does that make money? I have no idea how that makes money. But if I dive into that activity, I surround myself with other people, I leverage that skill it got me a partnership with with uh, uh, Quantum Capital. It's put me in owner suites at baseball games. It's got me in front of people that have that have given me opportunities that I wouldn't have expected and took and maybe shouldn't have because I should stay focused. Um, that skill has literally given me a life because I asked, what am I great at or what do I love? Not what do I love and am I great at? That can make money. That second question is just too hard. It's too heavy up front. Like to give a, a if you say I love, I love uh, mattresses. I'm looking at a mattress. That's why I said <laughs> I love mattresses. Like I just love, I love sleeping. Sleeping is amazing to me. I just had John Lee Dumas on the podcast from uh, uh, Entrepreneurs on Fire. And mm -hmm. I asked him like, if you were to start a podcast today, would you do the same one? He goes, no, no, I can't do a daily entrepreneur podcast today. It wouldn't work. There's too many things like it. When I, it was the timing of it. No one else was doing that. He's like, if I start a podcast today, it would be a long form, once a week, high quality, in-depth interview on sleep. That's it. He loves the science, the hacks, everything about sleep. So I don't know. I love sleeping. Well, there you go. So does John Lee Dumas. And that dude today could launch a podcast that would probably make seven figures in a year because he's taking what he loves and just leaning into it. He researches, he reads, he talks to people. And then he's figured out this medium that he knows how to scale podcasting. He's got a reputation there already. Tell me tomorrow. He couldn't be a sleep expert interviewing all the biggest names in that space and make six figures easy. No problem because he's leaning into what he loves. So I think that's the, the key question. What do I love doing? Leave it there and then start doing that. Start looking into sleeping. Oh, I love sleeping. I wonder if I could sleep better. Like, ah, look at the aura, whatever the fuck it's called, all this stuff, you know, do all those things that are in the sleep realm and you'll start to get, and sorry, we're going over here, but you'll start to mm -hmm. then get the FAQ of you. I always say that about you. 
the FAQ of you. That's what you're great at. You get asked something over and over and over again. You're like, there's a business here. There's an opportunity here. People keep asking us, how are we such a great couple? Couples mastermind, right? That was, yeah. dude, that was when we sat down in Tahoe and you told me about that. And I kept you at lunch for 72 hours after that, <laughs> asking and picking your brain. It was like, that's how these people think. That's how these multimillionaire, incredible minds, entrepreneurs, that's how they think. They're, they're asked something frequently and they see that as I could add value in the market here. Not I, I can make money on this, but I can add value. And you understand that everything entrepreneurship is, if I add value, I will receive value. Don't care how, don't care how much, don't care when. I'll set that later, but I'm just gonna go ahead and add value. So I just like rambled through that, but let me break it down real quick. First, what do I love doing? Not how do I make money? What do I love doing? What do I love doing? And what am I great at? Like, ask yourself that. And then second, tune into what you're constantly asked about, especially mm. if you're going to do what you love doing and you start telling people about that and they start asking questions, you're onto something. You got something that could become, I mean, Christ, it could become a $75,000 a year TikTok channel. That's awesome. That's amazing. Yeah. For a lot of people, that's good money. There's people, yeah. that, there's people that used to work at my company that started at 50K. 50K W2. They could go be TikTokers for $42,000 and make 42 grand a year, 1099, if you will, or non W2, yeah. write off a lot more and make the exact same, working way less. There's God, I should have prepared that answer better because I rambled, but those yeah. are the two things. What do I love doing? What am I great at? And then what's the FAQ of me, the FAQ of you? I actually loved the ramble, to be honest. Um, I'm glad I got to dial it in, though. I got to. Here's the two no, questions. It was like <laughs> it made me want to go back and listen to it. I'm I'm serious because I I think uh, I, I think it's good. I think it's good. really good. Thank you. And you, in fairness to you, you had no opportunity to prep that. That was off the cuff. So I know, but I got to be better, man. That's that's what I mean. Mean hard hard things. I got to be ready. Although I'll say this, man. Like I had Hal Hal Elrod on once, and I love Hal. I, I've had him speak in an event of mine recently. It's not a knock on Hal, but you do reach a point on these things where on podcasts where I think you can get a little bit too talking point focused. Like no matter what, man, I do a lot of work, a lot of prep. I went outside of Miracle Morning. Man. I knew everything about his life, knew his glasses, like what the freaking 20, whatever, 2020 of his, like I knew everything about this guy. And no matter what I would ask him, he would, he would masterfully weave it back down to talking point 1.7 on his podcast one sheet. That was frustrating for me. Yeah. So you got the non-canned ramble version of me. I love it. <laughs> Well, so I apologize. We've kept you long. Um, good. You, you good for another minute? I'm good, man. Whatever you need. I'm, I am cool. here for the Mike Ayala. Sweet. What have we not covered back to your podcast talking points that you think we need to cover? <laughs> um, the big thing that's been on my mind recently is I guess like the reality of recession, the mindset of recession. And I, I, I we can cover this, not cover this, but like I, I've been in such a... So I wrote, I started a newsletter a year ago as we as we're recording this one year ago. And I went back at the year mark after I wrote my my 52nd newsletter and I was writing this 52nd newsletter about this topic, recession mindset. People are puckering. It's been hard out there, you know, uh how to overcome that, right? The second second newsletter I wrote, first one was like an intro newsletter. Hey, this is what I plan to do. The, like So the first newsletter I wrote that wasn't an introduction was the exact same topic 12 months ago. Recession mindset, you know, we're all stuck in it. It's harder right now, da-da-da-da. And it was like, holy shit, 
all of this stuff I've been telling myself lately, like I've talked to people like, are you feeling this too? And everybody's validating like, yeah, man, it's been harder. It's definitely been harder. Like there's no deals. There's no this, there's no that. Maybe. And that's true. And I mean, I see it in the multifamily space. There's nothing available to buy right now. And that's okay. But the the problem is, and going back to Amucha Stegi, the problem is there are some voices out there, man, that just want you to hear words like pain, bad, here it comes. Uh-oh, Patrick, Bet David. I want to take Bet David, Amucha Stegi, and there's a couple of others I can't think of. I want to put them in a room and just let them like rope-a-dope each other out on all the negative shit. I know it makes for great social, like just rile up the populace, but that shit is just like, it's, it's there's there's a line between let me educate you and let me just sky is falling, warn you. Like there's a line between it. And I feel like I have gone so far over to sky is falling. I'm a piece of shit. I'm never going to make another dime. We just committed to another year, private school tuition, all these things that just came out of our pocket. Oh my God, did we make a mistake? Let's run back to Michigan. Like all this stuff was going through me. Like we haven't signed a second year lease. We can still get out and go back. Let's, let's dial it down. And at the end of the day, a year ago, I was saying the same shit. And here we are. So I think I think right now there's a lot of people that are and that are feeling and there's some reality to the idea that, yeah, it is a different climate, just like last year was a different climate than the year before it. And next year will be a different climate than today. And being smart about understanding, yeah, don't go buy, don't go buy a multifamily property right now at the ask price or a mobile home part at the at the you know, what whatever somebody's asking, like. There's there's going to be a decline in value. There's already a decline in value in that market. So, but but stop it there. That's my thing that I'm trying to do. Like I'm not allowing it, or I'm working on not allowing it to permeate me as if I'm scarce or I'm not enough, or somehow this cycle is is a reflection on my inability to be consistent or my inability to be to be the the biggest grinder or watching these people on on Instagram, like, you know, you just got to double down. It's like, ah. All that stuff is driving me nuts right now. And and the negative, the negative shit piled on top of it. I love it. he's been warning about the past. What did you say? He's the <laughs> last 18 recessions. What, what, he, said, he, he predicted 18 of the last two recessions. <laughs> that is the best, best line to sum up all that shit that's out there right now on social media. I love Aaron. Aaron's a friend. I, I'm not busting his chops. Uh, well, I am busting his chops. I'm not, I'm not saying he's doing anything bad. He's everything he's saying is accurate. But the packaging right now, man, it, like I'm feeling that that sit on me. And for anybody listening, and for me even, it's like just try to stop it there. The information is here. I'm here. The reality is, you know, yeah. I'm standing. I'm living. I'm breathing. My heart's beating. Thank God. I'm in gratitude and uh, and just try to block out the negativity from permeating who I am. That's a big push for me right now. I love it, man. And you know, I literally just put a story up about this this morning. And I heard a statistic yesterday, which I didn't check the math on this, but we, it said that in this day and age, the average adult hears more negativity in a week than- Sorry, I was looking up your story. I'm listening. Oh, nice. Then, uh, then so we, we we're hit with more negativity in one week right now than an adult would have been hit with in their entire lifetime a hundred years ago. Oh yeah, that's real. Yeah. And it's like what I, the story that I put up today was actually, so we were talking to a, I was talking to a builder and they said that the median there, he was saying that the median house price, new construction house prices dropped 16 and a half percent. That's what, and, and that's a true statistic. But what he's saying is 
we've shrunk our square footage. We're doing less upgrades because there's an affordability issue. And he said, we're, we're not selling any less homes right now. He's like, they're actually with like the buy downs and the interest rates, like new construction, they can't get their hand on enough land in the Phoenix Valley. When all you're hearing is that, you know, Phoenix prices are, the Phoenix is going to implode. He said they are stacking land left and right right now. And he said they have, they've got, they've got like 17 house starts a week and they're selling like nine houses a week right now still. But that whole 16 and a half percent, he said, we're not, we haven't dropped. We haven't like our housing values have not gone down. We're, we're, our costs are, are going down because we're, we're just doing less upgrades and smaller square footage. And I'm like, that's such a different, that's such a different version than housing prices have dropped by 16 and a half percent. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. That's the, that's a, that's a, that's a real world stat. That's, you know, I remember, I remember going to the sugar bowl in new Orleans right after Katrina and the news would have me believe, like, I remember getting the ticket. A friend of mine gave me a ticket. I'm like, what are we, where are we landing? Have you seen the news? There is no new Orleans. You know, it's, it's, it's Bedlam. It's gone. It's underwater. Where are we? We're going. Are we the only people in the stands? Like what's happening here? It was Brady Quinn and Jamarcus Russell. I forget what year that 07, 06, something like that. LSU and Notre Dame. And we land and like people are throwing beads. The, the Superdome was, it had some damage. It was all like redone. In fact, slippery as hell. I remember the ramps going up were slippery, brand new, you know, full stadium. I got drunk. I was screaming how Jamarcus Russell shouldn't be the first pick in the draft. And a bunch of LSU fans wanted to kick my ass, but whatever. Bourbon Street was full. The hotels were packed. But if you watch the news, you would think, no, that doesn't exist. Like the ninth ward got devastated, devastated. People lost lives, lost property, lost everything. I mean, you know, that's not taking anything away. That's not saying Katrina didn't happen. Katrina happened, but you get zoomed in on certain things, certain numbers, certain metrics, even in multifamily. We own stuff in Denver. I talked to some people that uh, that know Denver way better than I do. Like the people who know Denver on our team live in Denver. And I talked to other people who, who that just live in Denver and they're like, oh, you invest in Denver, what neighborhoods? And I'll say like Wash Park. They're like, oh my God. Like, And we just got our GP report on a couple of properties in Wash Park. Like rents are rents have gone up a, a, ahead of the pace that we predicted when we bought them a year and a half ago. You know what I mean? Like now we're yeah. supposed to be in this like, but there's a sub-market within a sub-market within a neighborhood. You know, like there's there's so much nuance to everything. You can't just say 16% housing. Oh, there goes there goes Phoenix. Or Katrina devastates New Orleans. Well, there goes the city. There's so yeah. much nuance in everything. And and I'm I I try to remind myself of that. And I we all do it. We all fall victim to it. We all bring it up. Somebody says to me, like when I'm living in Michigan, they're like, Detroit, huh? I'm like, have you been? Like, Half of Detroit, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go to a 2 p.m. on a Thursday. Don't get me wrong. But half of Detroit is like developed, beautiful, like well done, great restaurants, high end, the whole nine. But all you hear is Detroit's bankrupt. Yeah, yeah it was. Now I'm doing that with San Francisco. I feel like San Francisco people are annoyed with me every time I talk about that city and say it's the next Detroit. <laughs> <laughs> but they know the nuance on the ground. There's a reality that's probably somewhere between what the media reports and what's actually happening there. But there's too much. There's too much within the numbers, within the stats, uh, to to abide by one thing. So that's interesting. Like the house builder, yeah, we're just doing it differently. But we still have to build. There's still a, a there's still a high demand for. There's a huge demand for for property right now. No one's. I'm not selling my house in Michigan. It's at two point nine percent. I'm not going to sell that and buy something at seven. Why would I do that? Yeah. You know. So 
There's a lot of people, 42% of homes are so are uh, paid off. Do you know that? 40% no. of all US homes are, there's no mortgage. So wow. where's the crisis? Yeah. Yeah. Well, and that's, I'm going to, Ask him what you're staking. He'll tell you where it is. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to take a ration of shit when I record with him tomorrow. But um, <laughs> I literally put it in the in the group. At the end of the story that I put up, I'm like, you know what? I'm always trying to get back to is like, how does this actually affect me? And yeah, most most of it really doesn't. Like most of it really doesn't. Do you ever have that moment in COVID? Now we're going to get like banned by YouTube or whatever. But <laughs> I remember COVID. Like you're you're like, oh my god, people are dying. Ah. And I remember standing outside of my house and like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> like there's a sky, there's a ground, there's cars that go by, there's a store. We're all wearing masks. That looks stupid. But like, you know, they, you know, you would think when you step outside, it's like there's a mist. People are falling, you know, left and right. You're just you know, like navigating your kids through this, this terrible, like apocalyptic event. And it was like, well, wait a minute. No, no, no. You know, yeah, people... Trust me, plenty of people suffered in COVID. People died in COVID. I don't dismiss that. COVID was a real thing. Came from a lab in Wuhan, didn't whatever. You can dispute that if you want, but it was a real thing. I think it was overdone for the for the entire population to have to abide by something. I think certain groups definitely, I think two weeks up front made sense, but then the continual like, wow, let's wait another year. Bullshit. I have opinions on the vaccine we don't need to get into. But when you step outside, when you look around, like that was the question I would ask you, like, do you know anybody that died of COVID? Why my friends said his, he has a friend that did like, okay, but you, you don't know anybody. There was way more people that I knew that knew no one that died of COVID or even was hospitalized over it. I met very few that had that happen and it's terrible. I'm not dismissing it, but the point is the news would have you believe that, you know, throw a rock and you're going to be, you're going to be, you know, banging into, you know, 24 dead people from COVID and, you know, everyone knows one, like it's cancer. It was crazy. So I think that stuff needs context. Yeah. Well, good news doesn't sell. I know. You know, one of the funniest headlines in COVID, DJ LeMayhew talks of his terror from his COVID diagnosis. Third baseman for the Yankees. That's what the headline said. DJ LeMayhew uh, describes the terror of his COVID diagnosis. You know what his symptoms were? If you read the article, what? none. None. No symptoms. But... His diagnosis terrified him, according to them. And that was the headline. So what do you see? Oh, my God. DJ LeMahieu almost died of COVID. Did yeah. you see it? Yeah. There was a guy in uh, that played for the Atlanta Braves. Like, um, I remember it was like, um, uh, please, God, don't take me, quote from Atlanta Braves pitcher. And when you read the article, he says, man, I got so hot, I almost went to the hospital. <laughs> <laughs> so please, God, don't take me. To almost went to the hospital. I'm not saying that dude didn't have a scary ass night, the media sensation of COVID sure. at that point and how yeah. he felt. But like, can we, can we, can we see the disconnect there? Like the article implies that this pitcher almost died. Yeah. He never even went to the hospital. Just one yeah. of those things. It's crazy, man. I don't know where we went with that. <laughs> you're like, what do we do with it? my point simply is. <laughs> You, 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 you're right. You have to look around and you have to see for yourself. Does this impact me? Does it really impact me? You know, it doesn't mean that you shouldn't care about the fact that it impacts other people. Not at all, but you do put it on you when it's not on you. You're 42, 43 year old guy without diabetes. Like you're going to be okay in COVID, but no, like COVID is, I remember I got COVID and my, my old boss, I'm like, God, I'm so sorry. As if I, you know, like, like I got a, like I got a terminal disease. It was like, she's like, Oh my God, be safe. 
I'm so sorry. I'm like, I got a sniffle and a headache. I'll, I'll be all right. Like it, it'll be okay. But it was such a thing back then. Like you were stricken with it. So I don't know. I just think you're right. Does it affect me? That's a great question. Yeah. I've been well, rambling a lot on this podcast, just so you know. No, I like it. It's been good. Talk to me real quick about Ascend. <laughs> we call it Emerge only now. So we started with Emerge Ascend. Uh, it was confusing. One was a course, one was a community. And we really aligned on the GoBundance principle, like, hey, the community is what sells it. So we we wrapped it together. We call it Emerge. You buy an annual or a six-month membership uh, to be a member of it. And it's modeled after GoBundance. It's all about accountability, uh, pods, micro-tribes. We have events. We do all the same thing. So if somebody's Here's you or me talk about GoBundance, like, wow, this tribe of amazing people that I could join and get accountability from and grow with. It's the exact same thing we've built for people who aren't yet at the million dollar mark. Um, the only difference that I think is an enhancement is we do upfront six weeks of onboarding, a week at a time where we have you define what 10X is for you. Week one, put down your vision. Week two, do your first one sheet goals and, and habits. Week three, we dive into planning. Week four, we get into uh, different aspects of leverage in the community. Week five, and then how do you have a great pod? Week six. So high-end community, GoBundanceEmerge.com uh, and apply there and uh, we'll get on a call with you. So appreciate you. Appreciate you asking. Yeah, you know, and I can't tell you how many guys I talked to in a room. Um, I was in one, I was in a room yesterday with like three of them that came through the program and are now in GoBundance. So it's, it's pretty cool to watch. 63, 63 people have wow. gone through Emerge into GoBundance. Yeah, it's it's really cool. Another guy signing up on Friday, actually. So uh, that's my favorite stat. I don't say it enough, but that's my favorite stat about what we've done with Emerge. That's amazing, man. And, you know, to think that you've helped 60 plus people get to a point where they, I mean, because we know the value of GoBundance, but man, what an amazing, amazing thing. That's pretty cool. That's half the amount of people that were in GoBundance when I joined. Same. Yeah. It was about 180, well, third, about 180 people when I joined. Yeah. Right. Isn't that crazy? crazy. Yeah. Insane. Yeah. So yeah, we populated GoBundance with a lot of people, which is great. A few of those to be completely candid were, uh, were there, but weren't sure of the value. So they joined us and then they were like, oh, I get it. And then jumped up. But by and large, yeah, these folks came up through, hit their mark and then jumped into the elite uh, or the GoBundance women's side. So yeah. So good, man. Well, I think I'm going to have to have you come back on when, when, uh, when the economy is looking more positive and we can have a, <laughs> yeah, I, either way, but we got, we should get a Muchastegi on here, you, me and yeah. him. And then for everything negative, he says, I'll just bring something rosy and joyful on top of it. He's just, I challenge the audience to do a drinking game, go to a Muchastegi's page. And every time he says something negative, you have to take a shot. I love uh, somebody. I was actually pulling against him the other day. Somebody, he posted like, uh, um, it said like the fed adjusts its, it's like uh, cuts won't be as aggressive. And he said, there it is up and up and up, meaning rates are going to keep going up and up and up. And I was like, come on, man. And then somebody in the comment says the title, the article says rate cuts won't be as aggressive, which means there will be cuts like douchebag. <laughs> well, I, him and I got in an argument or not argument, but a conversation discussion. on the, yeah. the, the King's Table podcast like four weeks ago about, you know, I was saying that you know, I, I, I thought interest rates were going to still be, and he's like, no way they're going to be cutting interest rates uh, next year. And he then said like a, yeah, on the King's table. And then, and then like a week later, he puts up the post that, that they're so yeah. Up and up and up. I, you know, uh, you know what all this means to me at this point in time, and I've kind of just settled on this, like nobody freaking knows, like we're in this, yeah, we're in this unknown zone. Like, I know we don't want to say, Hey, we've never been here before, but we've never been here before. No, it's this. We're, we're we've never been in a place where there's full employment, 
Rates are, I mean, they have done everything to break the economy. And all that happened was like a twig broke off when SVB and Signature Bank went down, right? Like that's it. They wanted the tree to fall or at least like it's leaning, it's leaning, get off it, like replant the roots. The tree is standing strong, man. Like one branch broke, they're done. Maybe one more hike this year. I think, like you said, no one knows, but I don't think there's a path to breaking it. And what's happening with inflation rates is it's, it's, it's naturally ticking toward the target of 2%. So it's like, I call it a soft landing or whatever it might be. But I do think that the likelihood is we stay at full employment, you know, or a very high, very low unemployment rate. Inflation ticks back down to that two, two and a half percent rate kind of hits the target. And they dial rates back a little bit in some po- at some point in 2024, and you will see a boom in the economy. I think multifamily is not going to see its full like down cycle increase again, or some of the commercial real estate in particular, until Q1 2025. But you're going to see, I think, in the next year, middle of next year, you're going to start to see where that bottom starts to feel like, okay, there's, there's, there's going to be activity. Right now, everyone's holding, hoping something crazy happens that they don't have to like fire sale their property and take a loss on it or give it back to the bank. That's going to come true middle of next year when all these debt, there's a trillion dollars worth of debt coming due in the next year in multifamily commercial real estate. So that stuff will start to percolate in the middle of the year, but the rest of the sectors, retail, real estate, the, the, you know, the, the stock market, you're going to see rates dialed back a bit whenever they do. I I don't know. I'm, I'm not trying to dismiss pain, but I just don't see it is a weird time. Everybody's doing what I'm doing. You're holding on to your cash. You're, you know, being smart, but I don't, I don't, um, I don't, I don't know that we've ever had a situation where they have done, they've never raised rates at the rate they have and nothing's broke. Multifamily commercial real estate will break next year, but SVB really a tech bank. That's it. It's really, and then a crypto bank and signature. Yeah. You know, it's crazy to me. So it's going to be really interesting. And along the way, Amucha State, you'll claim he's right. No matter what happens, I, I, he's going to tear us apart, man. <laughs> well, here's the problem: if he were here right now debating me, I would wither like a flat. Like he's yeah. way smarter than I am. Yeah. Like I, I, I'm able to like throw my barbs like a troll from the sideline. Like yeah. you know, that's it. But if he were here talking about it, he's way more informed. He could cite data that would twist me in knots. So I fully recognize my limitations, but I, I feel like I sound better. He he definitely he definitely has his research for sure. Ooh, he knows his shit, man. There's no yeah. doubt. Like I would trust him before I trust anything you heard come out of my mouth. But mine feels better. Yeah. Well, um, Tribe of Millionaires podcast. You got an episode coming out. Who knows when? With a CIA agent talking about how China is going to take over the world. No wait, man. Can't wait for that. Should be in October. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. 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 We don't have to talk about it, but I'll just go go find the Tribe of Millionaires podcast and listen to that one because here's the key. China might take us over in the next 10 years. I was convinced of it after this conversation. It I wasn't going in. I had arguments ready to go. And when you have a covert spy who's done deep cover ops and arranged coups in different country, educate you on world geopolitics, you just sort of listen and go, oh, <laughs> yeah, that I'll- sucks. Maybe I need to get my EU passport. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it, man. It's fun. Well, this has been an absolute pleasure, man. Where can people find you? Yeah, easiest on Instagram, at the Jamie Gruber. I followed Mike Aiello with the at the beginning because I wanted to be like him. At the Jamie Gruber, DM me, follow, anything like that. I appreciate it. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thanks for taking time away from your family and being with us. Appreciate you, man. Thank you. 
If you found value in this episode and you know someone who's wanting to start or move further along in their journey toward investing for freedom, I would be forever grateful if you would share this show with them and help me get this message out to more listeners. Also, if you enjoy what you've heard, I would appreciate it if you take 30 seconds and leave me a five-star review and share this with your friends. And until the next episode, cheers to moving further along in your journey of investing for freedom.